Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples, and surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are. Higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree. Instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we've gathered together to worship you. We've gathered together to turn our hearts towards you. And Father, we thank you that throughout this service, Lord, we've just been uplifted as we've sung together, as we've been sung to, and and, and just bless your name, Father, for all of those things. And right now, Lord, we just pray that you'd help us to zero in on your word and that your spirit would speak to us. Father, that you would illuminate your inspired word, that you'd make it a a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. Lord, that you would help us to behold wonderful things from your law and hide your word in our heart that we would not sin against you. Father, help us to meditate upon your word day and night, being careful to do everything that is written in it, that we may be prosperous and successful in your sight and the things that matter the most. We pray, Lord, that your word would be like a two-edged sword, penetrating soul and and spirit and joints and marrow, dividing us down to the very thoughts and intentions of our heart, showing us who you are and who we are before you. And Lord, that you would teach and that you would rebuke and that you would correct and that you would train us in righteousness for every good work for your kingdom's sake. Father, we know that we live in a world full of things we don't understand. And oftentimes, Lord, even your ways are, are mysterious to us. But Father, help us to, I hesitate to pray, but to use this word cling 
hold to, stand fast upon that which we know that we know that we know about you and who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Isaiah 55 is one of those passages that has sort of the greatest hits passages, actually, from Isaiah. You, I'm sure, recognized several of those verses if you've been in church any length of time, uh, if you've had any interaction with the Scriptures. And the, the world, uh, or the, rather the word here, is so clear about a few things. And the first thing we see in, in verses 1 and 2, and I'm just going to jump in with both feet, is that the world offers us what will not satisfy ultimately, but at great cost to us. The world offers us things that will not satisfy us at great cost to us. I don't know how many times in life we have striven for things to gain them and to find out that they aren't what we anticipated. I kind of hinted about that a little bit last week when I talked about Kool-Aid points and flag points and things. And you'd send off for those special order things in the mail and whenever you got them and you'd look at them and, and you felt like Ralphie in the Christmas story. What? Drink more Ovaltine? Like, that's really what this has been about the whole time? And how many times in life are we disappointed by the things that we strive so hard for? And how much does it cost us sometimes to get those things that really end up being nothing in the end? And it's a constant battle for us as believers between our flesh and our spirit, seeking after the things that that God truly wants us to have because the things that the world offers us do not satisfy and they cost us greatly. But the things that God offers us is what we really actually need. And what's amazing is that those things are given to us at no cost to us. Now don't mishear me. I'm not saying that our faith costs us nothing. But the Bible is perfectly clear that salvation is what? It is a free gift of God based on what Christ has done for us, not what we do to receive it. The only part that we play in salvation is receiving the gift that's given to us. Beyond that, it is all what God has done. And and it's just amazing to think about. His Spirit draws us, and Christ has done that work. And we repent and turn to Him and are saved. But I want you to beware about what you spend your energy and your money and your time on. And I want you to be un- understand that what the world offers, I'll say it again, will not satisfy and is of great cost. But what God offers us is what we truly need, and it is at no cost to us. It's a free gift from God. Isaiah then says here that your soul may live, that you may benefit from the covenant with David. Now, what's that all about? Well, think about it. What's the alternative to eternal life? The Bible tells us it's the second death. There is a heaven and there is a hell. They are both real and they are both eternal. And I wouldn't be your friend if I didn't tell you that. And I wouldn't be being honest if I didn't tell you. And so we need to hear that our soul may live, that we could benefit from this covenant of David. And you think, well, what does that have to do with me? I'm, you know, I'm not Jewish. I, I'm not part of the house of David. Remember, God promised David that he would always have someone on the throne, right? that his kingdom would go on well beyond him. And the fulfillment of that promise is in who? It's in Christ, who's of the family of David, the genealogy of Christ. And the Gospel of Matthew makes that abundantly clear, that Christ is the fulfillment of all of these prophecies about David's house being established and lasting forever. 
So not only do we need to hear that our soul may live and, and see what God has, has promised us, and there's all these things, by the way, that it talks about how all the nations will be drawn to worship God, but then we're also commanded to seek the Lord while he may be found and to call upon him while he is near. What does this mean? Well, I think it's important that we remember that salvation is a limited time offer. And what I mean by that is simply this. Our life has an expiration date. In this moment, and we're told two things. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts and let him turn to the Lord and have mercy on him to our God, for he will freely pardon if he said abundantly pardon. Thank for those of us who made no problem. We understand that today, we've done our good enough to be saved. That's the whole point of salvation is that we aren't able to be good enough. <laughs> We need the free gift that God gives us. I remember one time when I was in high school, I was talking to a young lady about, about my faith, and I was very Christian, and sometimes a little more than I should be. I said, how do you know about a Christian? And I said, no, 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 And I had a question in my mouth, and I said, well, what happens if you don't get old? What happens if you don't make it that far? And folks, I'll tell you, we, we do not know. And so if you are lost, you don't know that you Christ, don't be in the moment. I feel like it seems like the doctor's chapter in this world. I don't know if you don't know, so I want to speak to those of you that do. I spent part of my evening last night listening to some of the, and I'm going to use quotation marks, prayers that were offered the inauguration and the pre-interval service. It's obvious to me, some people say they were saying that I do, but not even use the same name. Not communicating prayers, or to the Christian political statement. This is my lane, <laughs> talking about prayer. Do you understand? And you can't pray to the God of our collective faith, girl, without kissing it. There is God. It is God. <laughs> And I'm cool. I believe people, even in the church, are buying this. Believers have to know what you believe and why you believe it. They have to live it out. They don't have time to waste. And if we turn to people about me, John 1 3 tells us we can't believe that. We can't us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then remind again if we claim we have not sinned, we cannot be alive as we're in a place and wise. So if you never sin, absolutely honest with you. If you don't realize that you're a sinner, you need to get saved today before we leave this place. But if you are saved and you know there's something that you are doing in your life that God does not want you to do, or there's something that God has called you to do and you're not doing it, you need to make a change. You need to take that step. Because again, I want to remind you, we just don't want to talk about here. My goal is to die in 2079. I'll be 100 years old. I don't know if I'm going to make that. But that's what I'd like. I told you that right after I got here. Remember my timeline? <laughs> right? That's my goal. But I don't have a clue what's going to happen. Christ could return before I'm done with this sermon. And I could die before I get to the dinner table today. I don't know. I hope not. Some days I'm ready for Christ to return. And other days I hope that he waits a long time. Because there's a lot of people I know that need the gospel. But we just don't know. But here's the thing. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Read that with me. Not out loud, but then your thoughts. Now, what does that mean? Well, one way that I've heard this worded before is that God is not obligated 
nor is he often inclined to operate in ways that we understand. God is not obligated, nor is he often inclined to operate in ways that we understand. Another way that you've heard that said before, we'll get to that in a minute, is that the Lord works in mysterious ways. That wasn't where it belonded. If you weren't. When I was introduced to Isaiah 55, 8, and 9, I was in a very difficult place in my life. But, but let me just say a few things. It says here, you know, we don't know how high the, the heavens are above the earth. And, and somebody maybe cynically would say, well, yeah, we know. We looked it up in the encyclopedia. It's about 50 or 60 miles from, you know, the floor of the earth to the, to the outer atmosphere. That, that's, that's not what we're talking about. How, how high are the heavens above the earth? Well, the, the answer is very high. And then once we actually get outside of the atmosphere, which wouldn't have even been on the minds of the people that were, or Isaiah when he wrote this, is we go on to something that's infinite as far as we know, which is space. We don't know how far that goes. I mean, infinite is beyond forever. It has no beginning or no end. And our thoughts above ours, how different are his ways than ours? Infinitely different. God does not think like us, and we, in some way, are not able to think like God. I mean, it's hard for us to fully understand that, but God doesn't function like... You know, God never has analysis paralysis, for instance, right? You know what I'm talking about. I mean, isn't it amazing how difficult a question like paper or plastic can be to answer? Would you like fries or would you like cheese? And you're just like, I don't know. You know, it's, it's just like there's too many choices, you know? And, and, and at the same time, and I, by the way, I, I have a tired about it because it may see in business, if you're not a person, the business has been most successful last 15 years, and business has been due to the choices, not to them. What are tired of them? They're overwhelmed by the amount of stuff that's thrown at them. And so if you can go up to a menu in a restaurant and there's 10 things to choose from, people really like that right now because it's easy. But it's the thing, God's not up on choices. Maybe there's no way we can't understand he doesn't really choices. Because never he does going on. Or they have. All right? That gives you a little bit of a, of a jolt when you think about that. He is infinite in his knowledge. Nothing ever catches God by surprise. God never says he didn't see that coming. So the answer is very high. Now, contrast that with our knowledge. Now, I, I just... I, I wrestled a little bit with whether to share some of this because I get excited about this kind of stuff and sometimes other people don't get as excited. But I, I got to thinking about it and I said, okay, well, what are some, some things that we don't know, for instance? Like we know a lot. We've got Google and we've got Google Earth and we've got all these things, you know, with Google Space even, right? And there's all these cool programs where we could find out, like if you ever wanted to know what the universe would look like if, if like Jupiter was where Mars was or, you know, you can like move stuff around. I mean, it's amazing what we could do. We can run simulations. Test pilots don't die like they used to because we can build an aircraft inside of a computer and fly it before we ever put it together and decide whether it's going to work or not. Isn't that amazing to think of? But what are some things we don't know? Well, last year, we discovered 30 celestial objects that we didn't know existed in the, in, in the night sky. So we've been looking at the sky with telescopes and computers and all this stuff for decades, and we found 30 things we didn't even know existed, including an enormous comet called Neowise that came through. It was beautiful, wasn't it, if you got to see that comet? How about this? We, we've, we've discovered all the surface of the ocean, right? But did you know that over 80% of the ocean is essentially unexplored? 
Like we go down a certain depth and, and we just are in an alien world. We have no idea what's going on. We don't understand how some things are surviving. Like there's these little shrimp that live next to a volcano. And if they get too far from the volcano, they die because they breathe the gases off of that volcano that would kill us instantly. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and I think God does stuff like that just to mess with us. You know? <laughs> it's amazing. How about this? We think we discovered about 500 new species in 2020. Every now and then, a herpetologist will be walking along and find a snake that he didn't know was there, just right next to him. Or there'll be a frog that we discover in a tree. Or there'll be some sort of a bird that we maybe thought was even extinct that we find, or some relative of it. There's all these things that we think we know everything and we don't know. There's an estimate, by the way, that we've got about 1.2 million species cataloged. They're thinking, and again, they don't really know, somewhere between 8.5 and, and 15 million species yet to be discovered. And that's just based on how much we discover every year. I knew this, I knew that. See, we're limited in our knowledge of creation, but we're even more limited in some ways in our knowledge of the Creator. And, and we do not often understand why God's not doing what we think He should be doing, right? I mean, both of those are struggles that we have. We don't often understand how He's doing it, and even if He explains it to us, we don't necessarily fully grasp it. But we do know who He is, and we do know where his ultimate goal is to take us as believers. So let me say that again, just to be sure, okay? We don't often know what he's doing, why he is or isn't doing things, how he's doing them. But we do know two things for sure, and that's who he is, and that's his character, and where he is ultimately taking us. And if we can hold on to those truths, it makes a difference. Because if we can believe that God is loving and just and righteous, and that he's a God who is near and cares for us. And if we know and believe that our ultimate goal is that he's always leading us to our good, it changes the way that we look at things, doesn't it? The Exodus seemed aimless and wandering to the people that were there when they didn't remember God's provision and protection in the midst of it. The exile seemed as if God's people had pushed him away so hard that he'd finally cast them off. But he restored them after a time of discipline. And today we may struggle to see what God is up to because he doesn't think like us. And even if he explains things to us, we don't always understand. I mean, for instance, have you ever had to explain something difficult in your life to your kids? So here you are trying to process, trying to work through what's going on in your life. And it's not that children aren't smart. They know more than we do sometimes about what's going on. But for some reason, it can be really difficult to sit down and explain to them. Years ago, years ago, there was a, an untimely death of, a, of an elementary student in our school district, uh, one, one of the communities I lived in. And, and I just know that one of the things that I prayed, I said, God, if some child asks me about this, just give me the patience to listen and the wisdom to kind of just have some idea what to say because I don't even know what I think about this. And so we look at these situations and we understand so little sometimes what's going on in our life. And when I was introduced to this verse, as I was saying earlier, it was after I had experienced something that was a real disappointment to me. So I was saved July 26, 1995. 
in Clinton District United Methodist Camp in Hinton, Oklahoma. I could take you, or Davis, Oklahoma. I could take you, no, Hinton, right, sorry. I could take you right to the place, I promise. <laughs> Just have to think about it for a minute. The very next week at another youth camp, I was called to the ministry. Very next week. So I was saved at a campground. A week later, six days later, God called me to the ministry. And I mean, it was like there was no question in my mind. This is what I was supposed to be doing. And so somebody asked me, he said, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to go to seminary? Are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? And I actually thought, I said, well, you know, I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to wait until I can, and then I'm going to basically like buy an old like garage, like an old you know, auto garage, and I'm just going to throw the door open, and I'm going to put out a sign that says church meets here and see what happens. And I was a thousand percent serious. <laughs> Absolutely was. I still might do that one day. I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, you know, that's, that's my heart, right? Is, is I have a missional heart in that way. I, I want to see people saved. And I'm going to tell you, I, I found out later about this guy named David Wilkerson. And David Wilkerson was a, a minister that had basically packed up a suitcase and got in a station wagon and drove to New York to minister to gang members after he'd saw an article in Time magazine about what was going on. And, and Wilkerson had started a school for ministry called Mount Zion School Ministry. And my pastor gave me a fire and he said, after the school, so I, I filled out all the paperwork and I got all my friends together and I put together the apple tree in there and I had a picture in it. This is, what like this is my senior picture. I know, I'll give you a couple seconds to take that in. <laughs> Not my sister. <laughs> so, this guy got water bill, right? And so, my Asian, my sister, one with most people that I want to minister and prostitutes and gang members, just like my idols, David Wilkerson and others, were doing. And I got a letter in the mail about two or three weeks after I sent in my application. And it said, uh, and I wish I'd saved it to this day, I wish I'd saved it. And it said, We found everything in your application in order. But after praying about whether to receive you uh, into our school, we've decided that this isn't God's plan. We're not supposed to let you into our ministry school. I was brokenhearted. I thought, well, man, why wouldn't these people want me? You know, and what did I do wrong? Why isn't God leading me to, to go to this place? Now, looking back over 25 years, I can see some reasons that are a little more cleared now. But one thing that I, I didn't see was this. See, I'd met my wife, but we didn't like each other. <laughs> there is a long story. <laughs> and it begins with her being introduced to me by her boyfriend. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the thing is, if I'd gone to Pennsylvania... This wouldn't happen. I didn't understand at the time what God had in mind. Because His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. And, and, and when Vicki and I tell our story to people, they just sit there and they, they just can't believe that we're not making it up. Because the way that things fell into place, the things that happened... When we began to follow Jesus together, 
are inexplicable any other way. It's only God that can make those kind of things happen. God works in mysterious ways. And we have to believe that he's indeed working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, just like the scriptures say. And then even moments of disappointment and difficulty in our lives are part of plans and part of ways that we don't fully understand. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it blood and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me void or empty, the Bible says. We often apply this passage to the preaching and teaching of God's word, and I think that's a legitimate application. But specifically, this passage refers to what God is declaring to his people through Isaiah, declaring to Israel. And the overarching narrative, the overarching story, the big idea in this passage in Isaiah 55 is this that what God decrees will come to pass. The world cannot stop him. The devil cannot stop him. Our own flesh and failures cannot stop him because God always wins. And the Bible tells us that there'll be times of restoration, this idea, this picture that You know, weeping lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And verses 12 and 13 are simply a a picture of the restored creation. So not only are we going to live out an episode of Mr. Beast and we're going to eat for free things that we could never possibly afford, we're going to see things that we can't even imagine, that, that God can't even communicate to us. If he told us, we wouldn't be able to fathom it and understand it. Weeping will last for a night, joy in the morning, but we will experience something that is just beyond our ability to comprehend. And God in his time is going to restore this creation to its proper order. He's going to bring about his kingdom in its fullness. And meanwhile, he's going to restore us who will turn to him by grace through faith in Christ. And then he will use us to restore others and to bring them to a knowledge of the truth. Listen, it comes down to this and It's actually the passage I'm praying about preaching over next week. Jesus says to those who are striving for righteousness in their own power. Jesus says to those who are trying to imbibe as much of the pleasure of this world as they can. Jesus is saying for those of us who are striving to those for those things that cannot satisfy. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus sees you dragging this yoke hung up on the stones in the thickets and the thistles. And he sees you striving and struggling And he comes to you and he says, listen, how would you like to trade yokes? How would you like to take my burden upon you? For it is easy. My burden is light. You can't carry it. So I want to encourage you to stop striving for what does not satisfy, to take what is freely given. I want to tell you, 
If you're not a believer to repent today, because again, life has an expiration date. Man knows not his time. <laughs> That's part of the story that I'll tell you another day because we began to lose people after Vicki and I got married. There were things that we couldn't see coming that God knew. Turn back to God if you've strayed. Every time I go to a funeral, every time I sit through a service, I think to myself, how many people here don't know the Lord and how many of us do and are wasting time? We've become lax, we've become distracted, and sometimes we hanker for the things of this world and we forget that we don't need those. Trust in God's character again, that God is just, merciful, loving, gracious, that He's near, that He's almighty, that He's all-knowing, that He always wins, that He always prevails. And even if His ways are mysterious to us in the moment, that we can know that restoration will come to those who come to Christ by faith. And that will be made a new creation. Think about that again. Even though the ways of the creator are, are just mysterious to us. When we come to Christ, we become a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And one day we'll inherit a kingdom. Now, why did that not affect you? This isn't about my ego. I, I'm serious. Do you not understand? You are going to be co-heirs with the king of kings. You are going to inherit an eternal kingdom. That's really awesome. And so the, the, this is the thing that came to me last night. The sufferings that we experience in life, even if they are the most abhorrent and difficult things that you could imagine, will seem like a mere headache in eternity when we look back. That's why Paul says these light and momentary afflictions. Because when you look at things from an eternal perspective, even 70 years of suffering is nothing compared to 70 million or 70 billion or 70 trillion. Remember, because we lose count because why? Because eternity is eternity. Friends, I tell you, this life is going to disappoint us. There are times when life is just flat going to sucker punch you. You're not going to see it coming. But God is always there. And he goes before you. And when you get to the other side of these things, if it's in this life, he will be on the other side. And it's all under control. <laughs> I guess that's the thing that I really want to communicate this morning. He has you in his hands. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And even though we don't fully understand the world that we live in, even though we don't fully understand the times that we live in, we can know that you are good and you are near. And we can know that if anyone will turn to you, they can be saved, even this morning, Lord. So, Father, help us. If anyone in this sanctuary this morning is not saved, if they don't know you as their Savior and Lord, I pray they'd come to this altar this morning. They'd find one of our deacons before they leave. They would nail that down. 
whether they're eight or 80, Lord, that they would find a way, uh, they would find their peace with you this morning. Father, if there's anybody here that needs to make a commitment to you, that needs to, to take a step in their relationship with you, I pray they'd come to this altar today and tell us that we could support them. And God, if there's anybody here even that just has a burden on their heart, I pray they'd come to this altar and they'd lay it down before they leave this place today. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Would you stand that if God has spoken to your heart, you come.